Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. You are listening to the Election Week edition. That's right. Election Day was Tuesday, but we still don't know the results. Who is going to be the next president of the United States? Sure, we understand several news outlets have called it, but we don't have an official answer. And that brings us to the very interesting issues, the very important issues in the nation we love, the greatest nation on earth that we're going to be discussing in tonight's show. While election day may be over, the election is not. And that has pretty much dominated every news station and definitely the news cycle for the last week. Think about that for the last week. Now, many Americans believe, hey, wait a minute, we have the right to know the results of the election on election night. This isn't like something we're supposed to have drawn out over days. That would be like the Super Bowl being drawn out of the course of a week as different referees deliberate over plays and they watch them back. That is not the way the American people expect our voting system to work. Yet it does. And this is where probably one of the most important facets of the last couple of days comes into play. And that is the legal challenges. Now, our president is not a lawyer, but he sure is a litigator. He has been filing and responding to lawsuits for years, and so has his legal team. So that is what we are seeing. What we've seen over the last couple of days is basically legal triage. The lawyers are looking at how the elections were run in various states, and they're thinking through collectively what, if anything, they can do. And Larry, I have to tell you, you know, we've both, as lawyers, been following this Uh, And one of the things that really has characterized some of these lawsuits is apparently in many of the states, it appears they do have some evidence to work with. And and before I ask you to weigh in on the evidence, I want to remind our listeners that lawsuits need evidence to proceed. Otherwise, you have a public statement and a filing fee and you lose credibility. So when you hear these lawyers take the podium and talk about the plans that they have to follow up on whatever irregularities or fraudulent practices that they've seen go down in different areas, we have to believe they have evidence to support those allegations or there's no sense even going to the courts. So looking at at least some of these lawsuits, and I understand this is all fascinating as a lawyer, frustrating as a voter, but we have to believe that there's actually some of these suits that are gonna have legs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're starting to uh, find uh elements of voter fraud that will be, uh, you know, necessary as evidence in some of these court cases. And I just saw this one off the wire where there's a postal worker in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, and he is, he didn't want to have his identity revealed, but now he said, we'll just go ahead and reveal it where the postmaster uh, in that region ordered everybody to uh, backdate the ballots that came in late to the date of the election, November 3rd, even though they came in after November 3rd. And uh, he's going forward with that. That would be one example of uh, evidence that's that's needed. 
Well, Larry, one of the one of the other things that is is very important that I know we're going to talk about as well is it's evidence based. What we've seen thus far is public statements that have been made on both sides of the aisle about whether or not practices were followed. But guess what? That's the court of public opinion. These are issues that have to be settled in a court of law. And I wish everybody understood that, that we hear so many rumors from so many sources, different news outlets calling the election for for Joe Biden, others saying, no, we're not going to do that until the state actually certifies the vote. And judges aren't going to be faced with any of this. We're not going to be marking any of these newscasts, Exhibit A, People's Exhibit B, and somehow think the judges are going to consider that. They can only consider evidence that's proven. Back it up. Corroborate it. Show me the evidence. That's what's going to come into play. And I think we should be very optimistic that the legal process is going to play itself out. You know, the worst thing that could happen is people that support the president losing hope because everybody should want a full and fair count of legal votes. They want to see a process that was done lawfully, that was done legally, that was done above board. And you you saw a little bit of that in Pennsylvania, right? The people that you don't can't have surveillance um, footage that is so far away that you can't see what anybody's doing. And I mean, socially distanced live surveillance is six feet, not 20 feet right. like it was in Pennsylvania. But I think the larger, uh, the really the larger question here is in many people's minds, at least from a practical standpoint, is they're saying, is this a fight worth fighting? Absolutely. It's a fight worth fighting. And I want to just give a word of encouragement. I heard this amazing, uh, video that just came out and there is a Dr. Steve Pizenik, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And he gave us a lot of hope. He said that this is actually, or could be a government sting operation. And what he said is the department of Homeland security controlled the official ballots production. And, uh, they, if anybody prints extra ballots, they not knowing that there's a, non-radioactive isotope watermarks on the official ballots and every ballot has been marked by what's called a QFS blockchain encryption code. And it has cyber communication implementations on it that we know where every one of those ballots has gone, even if it's been thrown away. And I don't, this is beyond what I know, but it's almost like, I suppose, if you can't find your iPhone, there's a way to track it down. Oh, this has been thrown in the trash bin or something. They know if it's been to a place from the time it was turned in, if it didn't make it directly to the uh, registrar of voters, it went to a another place in between, they would know that they could track that ballot. Uh, so we're going to see well, how Larry, this is going to be. Here's the- Here's the question about that. And I, I read some of that too. I know that a lot of the, a lot of people are worried about commingling, you know, something we, we don't do as lawyers either. In other words, how do you know whether or not valid ballots were, were commingled with invalid ballots? I mean, one of the things that um, we see across the nation, we have bipartisan passion for election integrity, and that includes ballot integrity. Okay. That's the overarching Uh, sentiment from both sides of the aisle. But then when you look at the practical realities of how some of these elections were conducted, boy, you think we'd know better by now. But I understand the pandemic polling involved a lot of new practices that people weren't familiar with. Many people voted uh, absentee and voted by mail, two different, very different things. But they did more of that than they turned out at the polls. And so given the the, what you were just describing. And I heard a little bit of that as well, not as much as I would like to understand exactly how it works, but can that cure commingling? Well, I, I, I don't know if it can cure it, but 
I thought it was interesting, and I heard that the Supreme Court Justice, it was at Alito, had ordered that uh-huh. all the ballots that were coming in late in Pennsylvania needed to be separated out, and I guess they would deal with those later and not commingled. Was that what you were but getting But were at? they counted already? And that's the, that's the question. And I think what's frustrating to a lot of the president's supporters is we don't have definitive answers to any of these questions. Were those ballots counted? Where are they? Were they secure? Do we know? Did they... Do we know where they came from? Because if they are going to be asking for a recount or if they're going to be asking to invalidate ballots that, for example, weren't postmarked or had those smudged postmarks or they were incoherent, you couldn't read them, they were illegible, have we already counted those? And if so, do we subtract the votes? And then, Larry, the question then becomes, does it matter? I know that's on a lot of people's minds right now is even if we were to invalidate the questionable ballots or the ballots that were unlawful, illegal, that were duplicates, is there enough votes to change the outcome? I think that um, this seems almost implausible, but in a worst case, if they were discovering fraud in several states, it is possible, in my opinion, that they could actually have a redo of the election. Now, that sounds so far out, but there's precedent for that. In Patterson, New Jersey, just this year, it was just a city council vote. Uh, They were electing a new city council members, but they found out that one of the city council members committed major fraud. So a superior court, it was a New Jersey state superior court judge, Ernest Caposella, ordered a redo of the entire election. And that redo actually happened on November 3rd because this original vote was back in August. So redo ele- redos of election are possible, but I can't imagine to do it nationwide or maybe in yeah, the states and, where it was in a toss-up. And I think that's what people are looking at right now is I think people are wondering whether or not in the states that were so close. I can't remember an election being as close as we've had. I mean, just the, the razor-thin margins. But because every legal vote matters and because the courts cannot move election day, like the allegation is they did in Pennsylvania, only the legislature can change those types of rules. The question I think a lot of people are asking, especially because it was Pennsylvania that that has led some news outlets at least to declare Joe Biden the winner. In Pennsylvania, if we just focus on legal challenges there, you're right. The question becomes, if we look at those segregated out ballots that came after the fact, is that all we have to work with? Or is there something about the um, the poll watchers not being granted adequate access that somehow would change those votes? I mean, I can see a, a court saying, OK, count those again with a poll watcher actually able to see. But does that matter? Or are we simply looking at the vast number of balance that were set aside if they were? And does that number actually get us over the finish line if, in fact, a majority of them were for the president? Yeah, I would just like to see some fixes to our election. Why don't we have a federalized elections where the states can have their own rules for their state elections, but for federal elections, when you're electing uh, Congress members, our senators, our presidents, all 50 states should be adhere to a federal election procedure law. So there's no differences in that. And why don't we have, again, IDs, and maybe they would have to be renewed every four years, like a passport. Just some ideas. There's many other ideas, but we can or like make a driver's this license, like a driver's, like a driver's license. license. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, and you know what that would do is that would prevent people that have been, you know, that have passed on trying to find a nice way to say that from casting votes. And we heard a lot of that out of Nevada. Um, OK, so this is not going away anytime soon. I wouldn't be surprised if we're still talking about it on next week's show. 
But don't touch that dial, folks. When we return, we're going to hear from one of the leaders in California who is fighting to push back against lockdown orders issued by our governor, especially the orders that relate to the requirement that we all wear masks. What do you think about that? Stick with us. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Well, we are teetering on the verge of having our COVID restrictions tightened. I could probably say that every week because we seem to be in and out of the red when it comes to how well the precautions we are taking are actually working out. And that's heartbreaking for some small businesses that just finally get to open only to be closed again. But when they are open, what we've seen consistently, and this isn't just in California or San Diego, but really around the world, is we do have some very significant restrictions. And one of those is the mask mandate. Actually, it's a face covering mandate now that I think about it because nobody quite knows what kind of a mask you're required to wear. Does it go over your nose or can your nose stick out? Does it have to be an N95? Is a bandana sufficient? Well, Larry, I hear that we have somebody on the line that actually can help us figure some of this out. And who do we have the pleasure of speaking with tonight? Right, yes, Wendy. I'd like to welcome to the show Peggy Hall. Peggy has been an educator for 30 plus years with a focus on communications and health. When Peggy was told in March of this year by the college she was working at that to no longer show up for work because she was deemed to be non-essential, she began to research the legal authority for state leaders to issue such sweeping orders. And out of this research was born the healthyamerican.org. That was produced, uh, that has produced over 135 videos so far designed to educate, inspire, and empower people to take positive action to push back against the lockdown regulations and government overreach. Welcome to the program, Peggy. Hey, thanks so much. Great to be here, friends. So, Peggy, I understand you also founded an organization called Yoga for Surfers that you ran for 20 years, which is highly relevant here in San Diego. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yoga and surfing have been around long before um, I've been around, but I put the two together and popularized that practice. So surf-specific yoga to help people uh, surf better longer. Okay, that is pretty interesting. I had to get that in there. So Peggy, in connection with COVID restrictions, I know you have encouraged people to to learn really what our constitutional rights are in this area um, and how to make sure that all government restrictions are fair, are enforceable, are legal, and are constitutional. So with the research that you've done in this area, what do you think about those questions? Are we uh, nationally and statewide, um, is the government on solid ground in instituting many of the restrictions that we're, we're subject to? Well, you're using that word restriction, which is a good word, it's an accurate word, because there are no regulations, there are no laws, and there are no mandates. No governor can make a law. No mayor can make a law. No health officer can make a law. 
In our form of government, we have three co-equal branches of government. The number one branch, which was described in our Constitution, is the legislative branch. That is the only law-making authority in the United States, in our state, in every state. Now, that legislative body might look like your county board of supervisors. It might look like your city council. It might even look like your local school board. But no one individual has any power or authority to proclaim a law, a mandate. The word mandate has no legal meaning. There are either laws or there are suggestions, and all of these mask restrictions are suggestions. They are not enforceable by law. No one needs to wear a mask unless they want to or feel comfortable doing so. No restaurant needs to require anyone to wear a mask. No business needs to shut down unless it wants to. And I'd like to say the governor did not shut down any businesses. The businesses shut down themselves. I didn't see the governor come around with a padlock. Yeah, that's a great point, Peggy. And uh, I, I've actually heard that masks don't control viruses. They control people. Does that sound accurate? It seems like we're all walking around with these masks on. And what's the point? Some of them don't seem to be very effective, just like a bandana or whatever you put you know, around yourself. And uh, I don't think they're effective. What do you think? Well, um, I've never worn a mask. I don't plan on wearing a mask. Uh, there is no legal claim over anyone's individual body. That would be like telling you you have to wear, wear green fingernail polish. You don't have to. It's your body. And even if masks worked, even if they kept you alive to be 120, disease-free, there is still no lawful entity that can require you to wear one. So I've never Peggy, I think science. I'm really not interested in the science of it. I'm interested in the legality of it, and there is no lawful requirement to wear one. Peggy, I think you, you're making a very important point, is we're, we're differentiating legal requirements and social requirements. And I, I remember that right at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the things that Governor Newsom said was that he really wanted people to engage in what we'll call social policing. Now, that hasn't really worked out as well as we thought it would, because, of course, store owners are not cops or security guards. And we've seen some pretty high profile brawls that have gone viral. But in the grander scheme of things, I think a lot of citizens, even if they don't agree with the science or they they don't believe that masks work, to really put it mildly, that's what, what a lot of people are saying, they wear them anyway because they want to make everybody else feel comfortable because a lot of people have high anxiety, they've lost their jobs, they have all types of reasons that the, the pandemic really has taken a toll on them, both physically and emotionally. So I know there's a lot of people that would wear masks anyway, even if they personally don't think they have to legally, constitutionally, or even medically. What would you say to people like that? I would say you are creating anxiety in those that have had abuse, that have been raped, that have had their faces covered, children that had paper bags put over their heads and had to be in a corner, those who have had near drownings, where's the compassion and the caring for those people? Our normal social interaction is done face-to-face -face with the bare face that God gave us. Uh, having someone coming by with a sinister, menacing, threatening, intimidating appearance by concealing their identity, how in the world is that showing care for someone else? But is that a significant portion of the population, Peggy, or um, would you, do you think that there's a, a smaller number of people that would fit into the category of being traumatized by seeing another individual in a mask? Let me, t let me give you an analogy. Um, as, as a prosecutor, I know that there, there are many people that have been subject to what we call digital coercive control, and they don't like using Zoom. 
because they have almost a, a, a form of digital PTSD and having to be, communicate over a computer. And some of those people refuse to use their cameras. If you analogize that into the mask mandate debate, would you agree that the percentage of people that are subject to these this trauma um, when they actually see somebody else that might look like a past abuser, aren't those people in the minority? Uh, no, they're not, because our normal social interaction has been based on 200 years or more in this country without concealing your identity. If concealing your identity was a normal way of social interaction, there wouldn't be laws against it. Nearly every state, including California, has a law against concealing your identity for that very purpose that it is, it is uh, menacing, it is sinister, it is threatening, and it is intimidating. Would you rather have somebody... Would you rather answer your door when someone knocks and that person has their identity concealed? Or would you rather see their face? Would you rather walk to your car and you see somebody coming around the corner with their identity concealed? Or would you rather see their face? How are you going to, uh, as, as a former prosecutor, Dr. Wendy, how would you be able to have your, uh, your uh, plaintiff identify the perpetrator? This is an outrage. It doesn't need to have been any past trauma. It is causing Per, uh, current and future trauma. I counsel thousands of individuals who contact me uh, about this um, unlawful mask, uh, I like how you put it, restriction, because it's not a mandate. A mandate is not a legal term. There are laws or there are guidelines, and these are guidelines. Whether or not the mask works, whether or not people like it, is not a material question. The question is, can one individual, the health officer of any, of any county, require you to wear one? And the answer is no. And that is going forward in case after case. We are going to see resolution. It would be like having someone require that you snort a line of cocaine in order to uh, be happier. Can the governor tell everyone now to take drugs to be happier? Wouldn't that be a better society if everybody is on drugs? Yeah, that, that's interesting. Peggy, uh, there was recently a Superior Court uh, Judge, uh, Sarah Heckman, that ruled in favor of a lawsuit filed by Assemblyman Kevin Kiley regarding the, the forced mail-in ballots. And it, uh, they uh, judge determined that the governor exceeded his authority. Have you heard about that case? Will that have some benefit towards what you're pushing for, too? Well, I think that's a really important case, and I'm so glad that you brought it up. Although the actual... Um, case was related to the mail-in ballot, yes. the idea that the wider sweeping um, response, and I, I, I would say ruling, was the fact that now there is an injunction against the governor from doing any other legislative action, which is outside of his branch of government. He's in the executive branch. Yes. He is not a lawmaker, and he's trying, and he, along with all of, with most other governors in this country, are trying to bamboozle um, you know, regular Americans into thinking that a governor can proclaim something and it's a law and it's not. And that's what my whole work is about. It's actually, it's a pro-civil rights, it's pro-human rights, and it's pro-God-given rights. Right. Was he basing his actions on that California Emergency Services Act? Was that where he was claiming his authority? You're exactly yeah. right. And that is... Um, it is uh, a codified law, so that actually is on the books, the California Emergency Services Act. However, there is no emergency. An emergency, as defined by the, uh, by the law in California, is imminent and proximate, which means right away and close at hand. It is further defined as something that has 
the potential for great we are we are up against a break guys this is fascinating but unfortunately we're gonna have to we're gonna have to call it there thank you peggy for for pointing out some of your point of view um and also for really making the distinctions that i think a lot of people are thinking about when they are trying to make that very important decision what do I do when I live in a society where it either is a restriction or it's a regulation or it's a suggestion? Um, because I think that's one of the, the things that's gonna be uh, permeate our thinking even after this is all over. Some people are still not gonna feel comfortable. So you've raised a lot of really important issues that I think it's good we all think about. So thank you for that and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, you, Thank you, Penny. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. Thank you for another great edition. We are wishing you will have a wonderful week and that we finally will get an end to this election sometime this week. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 